Welcome to a special episode of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. Today, we are talking to Bill and Donna Anderson. Bill has been one of our elders for the past five years, and we wanted the opportunity to talk to them before they both moved to Texas. Welcome, Bill and Donna. Thanks, Jeffrey. Hi. How are you guys? Are you doing good? good? All right. Well, hey, let's start with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, your family, kids, grandkids. Okay. Go for it. Okay. Um, I grew up in Minnesota on a dairy farm, worked hard, knew I didn't want to do that for a living, Uh, went off to college. God was moving me in a direction of ministry work and um, met Donna. Uh, we dated for a couple of years, got married, went off to grad school. Um, our daughter, Melissa, was born first while we were in Texas. And then um, Martin was born up in Rochester, New York. And uh, since then, we've moved all over the country and looking to move back to Texas and be near our kids here before. Wow. And you told me that you have moved nine times. We've bought and sold up to this point nine times. The one in Texas will be number 10. Wow. Okay. And any grandkids? We have uh, three grandkids. Our daughter and son-in-law, who are now in Texas, have three. They're all grown. One in uh, San Diego, California, one in Vancouver, British Columbia, and one in Calgary, Alberta. Oh, wow. That's a lot of traveling to see the grandkids. (laughs) Right, right. <laughs> We're hoping they'll come to Texas occasionally. Yeah, yeah. So um, where did you guys meet? We met at Simpson Bible College. Okay. Where, where, where is that in I case? San Francisco. San Francisco, right. okay. And um, the motto right. is a ring by spring or your money back. Right. We <laughs> called it Simpson Bridal College. Oh, a no. A ring by <laughs> spring or your money back. They had the spring <laughs> banquet, you know. Yeah. I've heard similar stories from Moody Bible Institute where my son goes. I think that's okay. where it came from. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It did, yes. So you guys met. How did you meet? Like, where did you meet? Like, paint a picture for us. Okay. Um, first of all, I went to my, my parents had my brother, and I promised that we would go to one year Bible college before we moved, before we went into any other college or whatever we wanted to do. So, um, they figured that that would be a good time. And, but we could choose the school. And so I, I really wanted to go to Biola. You know, that was a nice place, beautiful camps, beautiful campus and everything. So I was at a, um, a student, um, you know, get, get to know, go up to the school of visitation. That's what it was. And I wanted to go to San Francisco. Why not? Yeah. I didn't care about that school at all. And so... Uh, I went up there. I was having a good time, fun. They ended up with a banquet and um, told them more about the school. And, boy, God spoke to me and said, this is where I want you. Mm. And I started to cry. I went upstairs, got in the phone booth, called my parents. They were in New Mexico at the time. And um, I said, this is where, I've, this is where I want to go. And they said, this is where we've been praying you would choose. Wow. So I went to one year. And he was at one year in Bethel College College. in St. Paul. Right. And so I had a great year. I thought, boy, God saves good-looking guys. They're not all (laughs) terrible. So um, No, it's wonderful. I was going to study art in New Mexico. Really? Oh, what kind of art? Sorry. um, Just all kinds. Yeah? Yeah, I think teaching art would have been fun with all the different areas. Yeah. 
So um, at the end of the summer, my mother said, you know, I have a strong feeling that you need to go back to that school. And I said, well, I had a great time. Sure, I'll go one more time. In the meantime, <clears throat> Bill, his family's farm had failed, and he had to move. they had to move to California. So he wasn't there the first year. Mm-hmm. So we met in the, in, at college at second year and pretty much knew that's exactly what was wow. what God had for us. So was it through a friend? Was there a mixer? Was there some kind of event? And you saw each other across the room and like, that's the one. We had a couple of classes together. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> I had reckon, or had noticed her, and uh, I guess she had noticed me as well. Um, nice. We were, inter- I think we each were interested in one another, but it, the spark didn't happen until we sat together this being a Christian college, they'd have chapel a couple times a week. And we sat t- next to one another in, in chapel, had a good time visiting, listening. And she told me later that when my shirt sleeve touched her arm, it was like an electric shock. Wow. <laughs> oh, I know. Love was electric. <laughs> I want to bring in one other part of that story. <laughs> Please do. So, so um, I, we were taking that class, and I thought he was interesting, and so I was getting ready to, it was on a Monday night, I was getting ready to go to my class, Bible class at night, and so I decided to pray a generic prayer, you know, God, I want, to, I want to learn something, make it, make the class go well, and just real generic. And God spoke to me and said, if, if you don't get rid of Steve, who was my, who was a boyfriend of sorts, he wasn't really, but anyway, we were hanging out together just the first few weeks, and um the Lord's and his name was Steve, and the Lord said, "If you don't get rid of Steve, you're going to miss my best." Wow. And I thought, "Oh no, I won't miss your best." And so I started thinking of, well, all the guys in the school I could think of, and I couldn't think of anybody I wanted to spend my whole life with. Well, Bill was off campus at the time, so I wouldn't have thought of him. Mm. So after I exhausted my thoughts, the Lord spoke again, and He said, "He's just around the corner." So. He didn't speak anymore. That was it. I wow. get up to go to class. I'm walking down the hall. I'm thinking, he's here. He's here. And I, you know, I hadn't met him yet. Yeah. So we met in that class, and it was, um, um, it was amazing, really. Wow. Because it was like, a, like God just zeroed in on, on him, and that was it. And we, we really knew right away. And I found out just a few years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, that he told his mother the first time we sat together. He said, I sat together, I shared my songbook today with the girl I'm going to marry. What? Really? Wow. And he only told you this a few years ago. I, yes. So those of you who are listening, who have been married for maybe a few years, you will continue to learn things about each other and your relationship. That, that's awesome. Well, after 54 years, you know, he'll, we'll be in small group or with friends and he starts telling a story, and I'm thinking, 54 plus 2, 56 years I've known him, never heard that story before. And I, it, it continually happens. It's oh, that's great. So smart. Well, so that's fun. encouraging, because <laughs> I think probably young people think, well, by the time you've been married for 50 years, you probably know everything, no. and you don't. There's no. still stories to tell. Oh, that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. I, so, was, I was in Minnesota, started at Bethel College, and... Uh, that was the school that our 
church denomination had. And if you're going to go to college, you either went to the University of Minnesota, or if you're a good Christian guy, you went to Bethel. I don't know that I was, but I went to Bethel. Had a good time, got elected to the student senate, had a young lady that I that I liked <laughs> uh, somewhat, and uh, wrote letters to her that summer and back and forth. She was from New York, and I was at that point out in California because my folks had moved, had moved out there. And I kept looking for a job, and I just couldn't get a job that summer mm. until I finally got one at a paper company down in San Francisco right off the bay, and uh, that was in, like, mid-August. I, I wasn't going to go anywhere because both my brother and I had to pretty much pay our way through school. Yeah. So I asked my pastor, the church we were going to, and I said, are there any Christian colleges around? And he told me, yeah, there's one down south of Ways, there's one across the bay, and there's one in San Francisco. But he said, um, and he said, I'm, I'm an adjunct prof there teaching sociology and, oh. and something else. I don't remember what the other class was. <clears throat> but he said, uh, if you go there, watch out for the girls. They're all looking for husbands. <laughs> <laughs> what, so, year, what year was this that you guys met? This was in 65. Oh, okay. Uh, tell, yeah. tell them where what you told your friends when you were ready oh, to move yeah. to California. When I realized my family was going to California and that summer my brother and I would plan to do the same, um, I told them all, I'm going to California, I'm going to get a Mustang, a boat, and a wife. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. Yeah. So I got the wife, got the Mustang, and finally got the boat. Wow, wow. <laughs> what was San Francisco like in the 60s? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I mean we all, we've yeah. all seen... You know, we were in TV the of the, yeah. and, and movies and documentaries. But hey, yeah. Ashbury. Yeah. Um, we would take anybody that came to visit us. Uh, we were married uh, our third year, after our third year of school. And people, if came, they came to visit, we'd always take them over to Golden Gate Park and the Hey, Ashbury. And just, and literally, Jeffrey, you probably know this because, well, I'm older than you, but um, you could unfortunately see. Everything. Almost anything and everything over in that part of the city. Yeah. Any time of the day or night, it was pretty mm -hmm. rough. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the druggy stuff got started there. Fillmore Auditorium, all, all that, all that stuff. And, uh, but it was still a beautiful city. There wasn't the homelessness and the street people and all that crap like there is today. Yeah. Um, we thought at the time, if God kept us there, we would love living there. We would probably either homeschool or put our kids in a Christian school because the school system wasn't very good. But uh, the city, my goodness, and you got the Golden Gate Bridge and the Bay Bridge and the Alcatraz. And I had a friend in college had access to a 28-foot racing sloop, and we'd sail around wow. on the bay and a lot of fun doing that kind of thing. And just there was so much there to offer. And then the whole Bay Area down to San Jose and sports. Oh, yeah. Um, um, Circle Star Theater, we went to see the Wii Five. I don't know if you remember a group like that way back then, but uh, just so much stuff to do and food. Mm. Oh, yeah, the yeah. food. And yeah. uh, it wasn't all flowers and, and beads. No. It was a lot of pain and suffering. Mm. I mean, kids jumping out of a window because they had, had been on LSD. Oh, my. And yeah, thinking they the could fly. Side. And it was just heartbreaking. And I, I remember one time sitting on the side of our college on the hill and and uh, looking I could see the Bay Bridge from there and 
looking at all the lights and realizing those are people represented in any, either one of those lights. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, my heart just started to break for them because the city was so lost and mm. so much pain and suffering. And they're lost. At the same time, um, the Jesus People movement was happening on the West Coast. Big, massive baptisms and um, wonderful music groups were coming alive. And um, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel. Yes, yeah. Calvary Chapel was just starting then. And um, it was... Goes to the scripture where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Yeah. And I remember one time, just a few years ago, thinking about that verse, and I always pictured a, a scale, just a regular scale, and you've got sin and you've got grace. And, of course, grace outweighs the sin. But then God wanted me to know uh, that I didn't have a clear enough picture. Picture yourself on the edge of the ocean. And he says, now look across the ocean. That's what I'm talking about, Grace covering it all and so we really um and you couldn't go to simpson without being mission-minded it's known for christian missionary alliance um school and um and um churches all over and you're you're automatically thinking mission everywhere you mm. go and i i love to ride the bus and i had to for work and school and everything and so i would just um pray okay god pick out someone for me and i'd purposely sit in a seat that had an empty one next to me and then I'd pray that God would put somebody in there that I could speak to and talk oh, about yeah. the Lord and I realized I could come up with any subject and it would always go back to <laughs> Jesus always and so that was I called it my uh, bus ministry and I had only just a certain amount of time yeah I really want to hear a story yeah oh of course okay so then there was this one young man that I met and it was at night I'd gone to a art school down in San Francisco at night, and I rode the bus. I can't believe I did that, in that even at that era. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy sat next to me, and one thing led to another, and I'm talking to him. He was Samoan, and I've talked to him about the Lord, and so I'm getting ready to get off for the school, and the Lord just says, invite him to your class. So I invited him, told him, you know, Bill and I were dating at the time. He knew nothing about this stuff I was doing on this bus. It was very dangerous. I trusted her. <laughs> Not real well. <laughs> he told me to be careful, you know. So this, uh, so I told him when my class was, it was Psalms and uh, at night, and I uh, told him when it happened, and he showed up. Well, he walks in that classroom, and the class had already started, and he's looking around, and uh, I'm sitting in the back, and, and I go like this. So he comes in and sits, and all my friends are like, where did she get him? <laughs> You know, so we sat there, and after um, after the class was over, I was introducing him to different guys, hoping that he'd uh, pay attention. And went out of the classroom, sat on the stairway that was there, and and I started talking about Jesus, trying to find somebody to help me. So I said, "Well, do you want to do this?" "Yeah." "Well, let's go." And that's we got it on on our knees in that classroom. Phil prayed and asked Jesus into his heart, and I cried and. He said, no, nobody's ever cried over me before. And oh. so um, I was just floating. My brother had come to school by that, that time. And um, I, was, um, I was able to tell him about it. So it was the following day. And Phil shows up in the daytime. And um, my brother was with me. And he, it's, for, him, for us to see each other at that, in the rotunda at that time was 
had to be set up because, you know, how would you connect? He didn't even know my name. And so um, he said, oh, it's you. And he said, um, I have a gang. And I told him about Jesus, and they all hate me. He says, how do I get him out of me? Oh, no. I said, well, yeah. you've already done it. Yeah. I said, I can't do anything about that. And he was just furious. Mm. And uh, so he, he stormed out of there. So my brother and I went into the chapel, and I remember us kneeling behind the, the pipe organ, praying and praying for Phil. Mm. And at some point, he came back, he found me, and he said, it's okay, it's okay. And my brother, again, was with me at the time. Wow. And that was Phil. And um, he told me that, um, that he had a roommate that prayed for him every night, and he hated him. And uh, he left his um, gang and went... And they had planned, in a, planned something really big between that time, which he didn't partake in, and he was the leader of it. Wow. But he, went, he, he left and went home to, in, to another state. Mm. But that, That's beautiful. That, those things were, they shaped my life. I realized I could have a ministry. I have a bus ministry, and I could have a, a young single wives ministry, a single girls ministry. Lord just picked it out. It's like I worked in a big bank and I worked, which I did, and I just was tr being trained in all these different areas and get to know banking. Yeah, that's what it was. Wow. Well, uh, talk talk about being shaped. Yeah. You both uh, had a desire to go to Bible college, which means you guys were most likely saved before college. So tell us a little bit of how Jesus got a hold of you, how how you became saved, like who introduced the gospel to you, and. What was that experience like? And uh, at what age? Yes. For me, uh, I grew up in a family that went to church regularly. They were all, well, I don't know if they were all Christians. Eventually, we were all Christians, but my parents were believers and uh, trained us up in the Lord and took us to church, Sunday school. Uh, I was eight years old, and it was in a vacation Bible school setting. And it was the, uh, the church was doing, this was really innovative for our little, very traditional Baptist church. But we had a VBS, Vacation Bible School, in the evening that year. And they had invited in an evangelist to talk to the, uh, to teach the adults while the kids were in their classes. And then we'd all come back together in the auditorium at 8.30 or whatever time. And uh, he would preach a sermon, an evangelistic sermon. And it was about halfway through the week that... Um, I sensed between the lessons we were learning about Jesus. And of course, this is against the backdrop of teaching and Bible stories at home and in Sunday school. But um, about, it was either Wednesday or Thursday night, it was listening to the evangelist. And God got a hold of me and said, listen, this is for you. Or at least I sensed that was what he was talking about. So I, when it came time that he asked people who wanted to accept Jesus into their life to raise your hand or come forward and whatever, and I did. And one of my friends, um, let's see, eight years old, we would have been going into third grade, I guess. Um, one of my friends, Dean, uh, went down there with me. We were best of friends way back then. His life has kind of taken a, a left turn since then. Got into... Um, drugs and stuff and ended up with AIDS. But anyway, uh, Dean and I went forward and talked to the pastor and uh, they had counselors, you know, to 
deal with people. And my dad ended up praying with Dean and I and making sure we understood what the gospel was as our eight-year-old minds understood it, okay? Yeah. So um, I think I, I really count that as a privilege mm. that my father was happened to be. It's one of those God things, you know? It's like me going to California and her already there, and well, there we are. Um, so I look back on that. My father passed away 21 years ago. There's hardly a day goes by I don't think of him. Used to call him on Saturday nights all the time and talk. But um, he was the one that literally led me to the Lord. Wow. And that's with great. whom I prayed the prayer. Yeah. yeah. And so you're eight? Eight years third old. Third grade? Mm -hmm. Wow. D no, did you no. notice did you notice kind of something change at, you know in the in the weeks and months after that? Or was it a more of something that really kind of started to more blossom as you were kind of in your later teenage years and um yeah. I I would say at that age my sensitivity to God and to Jesus heightened. Again, an eight-year-old kid doesn't understand all the deep things of the Bible, but I knew the Bible stories because mm. we had been trained up. My dad and mom uh, read Bible stories at night to all of us. There were five of us. Um, my Sunday school teachers taught well. Pastor taught well. So I knew the stories, but now it was real. Yeah. And, yes, so my sensitivity to Jesus began to heighten. I have to say, though, that, and I found out down through the years talking with other Christians, it is not unusual for Christians to have doubts. And uh, I got to be, I guess, junior high age. You know, things, that's a, that's a hard, I was a runty little kid in junior high and tried to play football and it didn't work very well. And uh, played a horn in the band, you know, and all that stuff. And I was kind of a, outcast because I was a farm kid and rode the bus into town and back and you know but uh, so I began to doubt and God kind of reconfirmed that eight-year-old decision to me then mm. that happened again late high school just because of the stuff going on and the you know the things that the devil is throwing at us you know the this is going to sound really really lame but the Beatles, you know, and the people, my parents hated that stuff, you know. <laughs> I was into it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got to thinking, is this Christianity really real? Mm. So I had some doubts then, and, and again, it was like God came to along me side and put me his arm around me and said, hey, don't forget what you did when you were young. Yeah. And it was God pulling me back. Yeah. One other time when I was in, believe it or not, in seminary, I didn't doubt my faith, but I had just these feelings of the world is so much bigger than I am. Mm. And I know God is bigger than that, but I just don't think I really understand it yet. And I went back to God and said, hey, if, if I didn't do it back then, I'm doing it now. Yeah. And yeah. I just prayed and said, God, forgive me of my sins. Mm. And... I don't know if I said come into my life because I knew I had done that, but I just didn't, I, I felt like something's not quite right. Yeah, yeah. And I found out since talking to people, as I mentioned earlier, people go through those kinds of doubts and questionings. Yeah. Oftentimes, two, mm. three times before they're really nailed down. Other people, 
boom, it's nailed down tight and buttoned up at one age, and they never waver. Mm. I wasn't like that. Um, you refer, one part you left out about the missionaries that were martyred, and that was oh, yeah. so impactful for you. It was one of those Yeah, when moments. the, uh, was it five of them, I think? Yes. The missionaries, uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, all of those guys who had committed after Bible college to go to Ecuador and mission, uh, minister to the Alca Indians, or Waduni, I think is the way they call themselves. And they did, and the story probably is pretty familiar to everybody. If you've not seen the movie The Tip of the Spear, go watch it. Get it from the, you know, look it up online or whatever, The Tip of the Spear. Does the book, is the book this has the same title, or yes, is it a different? I think that's the okay. same title. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the five of them went there with their wives, and some of them had little kids already. And uh, the long story short, they all five were martyred on a beach along a river in Ecuador. And the story was all over the news media back then. It was in 56, 7, 8, somewhere along in there. I've forgotten now. I've since heard um, Nate Saint's son talk about it. He had the opportunity to baptize one of the guys that killed his father, father. Wow. and the other four. Yeah, he's got quite a story. If you ever get to hear him, Nate mm. Saint. Um, I'm sorry, Nate Saint was his dad. Um, can't remember his first name, but young. His son. His yeah. son. Yeah. And uh, God used that. I remember yeah. my dad would buy the Minneapolis Star and Tribune paper every Sunday on the way home from church. Again, we lived on the farm. You didn't get stuff delivered except for the mail in the mailbox. But uh, he would always buy a Sunday paper. And, of course, we couldn't read the funny papers <laughs> until after we'd been to church. But anyway, or we'd be on our way home, then we could. But... Um, when that happened in Ecuador, that story was all over the tabloid mm. of the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. And I sat down. We were living in a basement home on a farm at that point with a big rock fireplace. And I remember that, that evening, by the light of the fire, <laughs> Abe Lincoln story here, by the light of the fire in the fireplace, I have this tabloid from the Minneapolis Star and Tribune open, and I'm reading the story of these men and their families and what they gave up, and what happened to them. There were pictures of the airplane that was speared with holes and everything else, and stuff on the ground, and and uh, I don't think there were any bodies at that point. But it's a very interesting story of how God used them. Mm. And a couple of their wives ended up going back there years later, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife, mm. um, others, and literally that whole tribe practically has come to know the Lord. God used that in my life during those junior high years to get me moving in the direction of possibly becoming a missionary. Mm. So going to Simpson College, I just thought, well, maybe this is the next step in God's plan. But he moved us on then towards seminary and church work and religious education yeah. work. But mm. that story is what Donna was referring to. Yeah, that's yes. a powerful story. Yeah. So, Donna, what, how did uh, Jesus get a hold of your heart? Yes, he got a hold of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, six years old, and um, um, I, was, 
I did I did a lot of naughty things. She I, was the terror of the neighborhood. I was. And if ever there was somebody who needed Jesus, it was that little girl. Mm. And I mean, I just think of naughty things to do and I'd do it. I'd ring doorbells and and leave. And nobody told me about how uh, that you could do that that was done. Yeah. But I came up with that. The devil in me, I guess. And uh, But the one thing I did that was the naughtiest of all is this neighbor, two doors down, had um, planted some rose bushes in a row. And show you how young I was, I got it in me that to take that tricycle and get it revved up good enough to go and shoot for that second bush. And I rammed over that rose bush. Oh, no. The man comes out, he's screaming and yelling at me, and I'm going home on my little tricycle. And my mind was saying, why did you do, why would you do that? Why did you do that? And I was always that, why, why are you naughty? And uh, I remember um, I struggled. And my mother talked to me about Jesus all the time. Mm. And so it was this one night at, uh, at church, Christian Missionary Alliance, and of course we'd always hear about the missionaries and the people who needed Jesus, and I knew I needed Jesus. I just didn't want to say anything. And mind you, I was six years old. And so uh, after church was over, the um, uh, invitation was given. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, raise your hand. Well, I was on the back row, and with the back row was uh, up against a wall, so nobody would see me. Oh, no. So I raised my hand. And then horror of all horrors, all those who raised your hand come to the front. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. That would have been embarrassing, right? Oh, bad. Scary. Bad. And so <laughs> I these uh, these chairs were, seats were wooden, and they had iron uh, metal arms. So I had my arms on these arms of these this, uh, wooden chairs, seats, and uh, I wanted to get up, and I couldn't. It was like there was somebody holding me down on my shoulders down. Mm. I couldn't even lift my arms up from those sidearm. And so I, I was still struggling with that. And then no one came forward, and he dismissed everybody. And I could, I could bounce up out of that chair just fine. And I thought I missed it, but I, hmm. I just can't. So I looked around, and I made. And by now, people are visiting and standing around and laughing and talking and. So I made it down to the front row, and I sat on the front seat close to the aisle and just sat there. And the minister was visiting with somebody. He was standing up, looked like 10 feet tall. And he saw me out of the corner of his eye. This is so critical. And um, he excused himself, I guess, and he walked over to me and he said, little girl, do you want to ask Jesus in your heart? And I said, yes. So we took like three steps and then there was the, the um, kneeling um, bench there. And so I was kneeling down with the pastor, and my parents saw what was going on. They made a beeline down to the front. If ever there was a little girl needed Jesus, that was me. Yeah. And oh, so wow. they're behind me while I'm being led to Jesus by the pastor that looked, noticed a little girl. And the Holy Spirit got that man to do that because I wasn't going to be, I needed help right then. Mm. So, of course, I was just 
bouncing off the wall almost. I was so excited and happy. And I thought, I'm going to save these shoes forever so I can remember when I took my first steps with Jesus. So long about May, um, it was May Day time. So I just got it in my head about making these ba May Day baskets with flowers in them to give to neighbors that I had been mean to. Oh, that is sweet. Nobody told me. That's so beautiful. my mother helped me with the big paper doilies, staple them with construction paper, and off I go on my tricycle with, the, with my May baskets. And so every, the two places I went to, they were yelling at me, and then they found the flowers. But it, So I go home, and I'm crying, and I said, Mom, what, you know, I told her, and she's, but they just don't know you've changed yet. Mm. And so change I did. And uh, I can remember laying in the top bunk bed and praying for all the soldiers in Korea and all the orphans. And I even prayed for Hopalong Cassidy who was on TV. This is old, old stuff. Fast forward, he did ask Jesus in his heart before he died, we heard. Oh, that's great. And praying for my grandpa to ask Jesus in his heart. And he did before he died. He trusted Jesus. And um, I wanted to be a missionary. And uh, I love Jesus, but getting into trouble was one of the things I struggled with because I had such a creative, fun mind <laughs> that I just couldn't help myself sometimes. But I think it was a lot of it was from my reading disability. I mm. just was, I, did, I got attention by being funny. Well, sometimes creativity can get us in trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, what was it like to be a believer uh, in your teenage years? Oh, I'm, that was a Dave Wilkerson time. Um, and they made these tracks, uh, they called them chick tra tracks, and they were cartoon looking. And, and so, um, it actually, junior high, I left a Christian school, went from the eighth, seventh grade, and so in eighth grade, I landed in junior high. And so I was putting tracks in all the lockers I could get to and praying for individuals for, for many years to trust Jesus. So you were being and, creative and rebellious, but for Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus, but I was awful. And my <laughs> mother contacted, uh, with, like, the James, James Dobson of the day and uh, told him about me oh, just over the phone and uh, from everything he could gather. And this was when I was a child. And he said, um, th this child that you've described to me, she's either going to go all the way with God or all the way the other way. Oh, no. So pray for her and don't let up on discipline. Yeah. So he told her other things, too. But it was uh, I found out those things uh, after I was an adult. And mm. God has just had his hand on me the whole time. So I can't really think of a time when, um, when I doubted because I was such a naughty kid. And I had such a big change in my heart, in my mind, in my emotions. Mm. To this day, I can feel it. That's awesome. You you guys mentioned that you guys have been married 54 years. Is 54 that right? 54 wonderful years. 54 wonderful years. Wonderful years. <laughs> so think of a, uh, a, a young couple. Maybe they've been married for five, ten years. Like what, did you, what have you learned through marriage? And what advice would you give a young couple in regards to, um, yeah, in, 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 uh, in regards to having a God-honoring marriage. Well, one of the things that I've been thinking of recently, when I'm, my journey with God is usually in pictures. 
And so I was thinking with all of these years that we've been married, that so many different events and all, and um, I just thought about it that this is, if I look at uh, marriage this many years as a timeline, that would be events and stages that you would um, most likely be leaving behind. And uh, oh, those are the those are days gone by, and how sad because you think um, of how we used to be with this, and and um, then I got to thinking, well, and I know the Lord put it in my mind that think of it as building blocks, and the first block would be like romance, and it's where you're you're absolutely in la la land, and you can't think straight, and <laughs> it's where we're dating, you know. And then, uh, like, the next stages would be, like, um, you'd hit marriage, and then you hit companionship. You value that. So these are blocks that are built up, and you, you don't leave behind any of them. You can't neglect any of them, the, you know, the romance and companionship. And then, you, then we're in the stage of teamwork that we feel like and supporting each other because we're, we get forgetful and we need help and can't do what you used to be able to do and... So uh, then, then eventually it would be like one of us is going to have to be a caregiver of sorts at mm. some point in time. But I f- feel like if you, um, if you don't focus on these, you know, these building blocks, yeah. and if you've let them behind, uh, you've lost them. And if you don't nurture them and continue on, um, then become resentful and, and lonely and sad and you grieve lost happiness yeah so i feel like it's um it's a better way to look at it that we don't really lose anything we're still good you know still have companionship and friendship we still have romance yeah and uh, you know you still just have to have those valentine cards (laughs) you know i mean this is this is how i would you know would say the best advice but i guess the one that that is most important is considering each other a minister to the other one, like I'm, I'm a minister to him, and I can minister to him. God can speak to me. To get to share with him, um, something of value, and I, I value his, his ministry to me. It's very hard um, to have ministry like that, and then get into arguments and com- and competing with each other, and uh, keeping track and all that stuff. If you're, if you see each other as a minister. Mm. This is my minister. He's a high priest of the home, you know, but um, but um, my value is how he responds to me. Is makes me realize about my value. Yeah. But then the other thing is so because we're older, we're both going to be seventy six. I'm going to be seventy six sooner here than he does. And I married an older woman. I know. I know. Oh wow! So, yeah, Scandalous. So two and a half months. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But I think what I think about the most is, um, is wasting time. Mm. Like, it, let's say you have a little tiff in the morning, or you know, your whole you, you it gets you get angry and it gets going, and before long you've lost that day. You might as well, you know, it's 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 ridiculous because um, wasting time that times that you could be enjoying each other and you know, going on old day trips or whatever, but um, time, is, time is getting shorter and shorter mm. at, at our age, and we value being able to be with each other and 
laugh and watch series on TV, stupid stuff. And so that's the best I can come up with right now. So Bill, she, she mentioned romance, companionship, friendship, um, teamwork, and maybe caregiver. Like yeah. out of those like earlier building blocks, which one was the, the, e- the, which one came the easiest to you and which one did you feel like you, the Lord had to work on you, uh, <laughs> help you grow? Great question. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> the earlier years of our marriage were probably easier because we were young and in love, you know, um, kids came along. It was a little more stressful. Uh, the, the companionship, I think, has always been there. Um, I, I worked in church work for 13 years in religious education. So I was there, home, for lunch. and you know. But then I started traveling when I transitioned into religious publishing. So the last 30 years of my career, I was traveling a lot. So we began to really value that. Yes. time that we would have together. Uh, bless Donna's heart. Her ministry for a couple of decades was raising the kids while, while I was gone making a living. Um, Tuesday through Friday, I was traveling a territory and um, doing sales work. So, yeah, all of those things that she mentioned, I think, were very important in our relationship and have allowed, have given us a foundation to continue to build on, okay? Um, A few things that I would tell a young couple is to um, never stop dating one another. Um, We've heard that from the pulpit and different speakers and all, but it's important. Uh, There was something we saw in each other at the beginning that drew us together and made us, made you as a couple want to be together. Keep nurturing that. Um, This is a pretty traditional one, but obviously I learned early to say, I'm sorry, it was my fault. I won't do it again. (laughs) To to, to say you're sorry and be... um, willing to correct quickly Mm. things that go wrong. Um, Marriage also is like a bank account where you make deposits and you make withdrawals. And uh, your love relationship, your marriage relationship, especially in those younger years when you got kids and there's so many things pulling on each one of you, establishing a career in your work, mom's home, raising those kids, and you're both striving to have this perfect family and all the rest mm-hmm. that, that we try to do, which really is impossible, but God helps us through it. Um, it's like deposits, deposits. And then when something happens and you've got to make a big withdrawal, mm-hmm. there's still something there yes. to fall back on. Yeah. So there's that kind of a perspective. Um, what do deposits look like? Because I'm, I'm sure some younger couples are like, okay, I can, yeah, you know, they could imagine what those could be like. But for you guys, like, what what are what are deposits into your marriage? F- find out, and there are books to help with this kind of thing, but find out what your spouse's love languages are. 
Oh, that was a powerful book for Darcy yes. and I. Yeah. Yeah. The five love languages. Yeah. Um, we have a sixth one. It's called sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. We, we speak that one a lot in our, in our home, in our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> I like to say that I'm all the love languages. Yeah, oh, right. you are. I keep, I keep him. She's very the Proverbs busy. 31 woman. You have all, you, you need all five. I'm, yeah. I call myself Mrs. Far Above Rubies. <laughs> <laughs> but find out what it is that your spouse really responds to well uh donna loves flowers Mm. i've been bringing her flowers for lots of years um even if it's just one (laughs) guys every grocery store has got a flower department so don't forget that if flowers are important find a nice orchid plant or a dozen roses or whatever and not not only when you've done something stupid or um, cross, cross words have come up or whatever, but just because. Um, so love languages, um, remembering to say, hey, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said that. Um, making sure that she has her own life. Your spouse has their own life, what they like to do, and be interested in that. Yeah. I hate fabric stores, but um, I've been known to spend a fair amount of time with Donna in a fabric store. She doesn't like hardware stores or places like that, but she'll, if we're going out and we need to do something, we do it together. Uh, hobbies. You, I know you guys like movies, uh, yeah. Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, Music, things that you enjoy to do together, do that. Uh, don't end up just going your separate ways so much that it falls apart. Yeah. People will say, well, we, we, we just don't have that much in common. Well, if you figure out what the other one enjoys, you can, it, you, it stretches you. When you asked about what the, those deposits look like, um, the way things are with my, with my life and the constant pain problems, the first part of the day I spend, uh, I spend in bed. And when I'm laying in bed, I'm, you know, that's where I do my quiet time and stuff. But after I watch a couple of preachers that I like on TV, then I do that. But I can be laying there, and I, I hear him in the kitchen, and he's unloading the dishwasher. And it's just like, that's a deposit. And years ago, that would not be a deposit. That would be that's woman expected. Work. Yeah, be kind of yeah. expected. Okay, I'll that's do this. We were brought up. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a deposit. And um, any, the older you get, the more value you put on those deposits. Mm. And if you've been a real jerk, you know that's a withdrawal. The thing about the bank is that both people are on the account, <laughs> and you can't keep track of who put what deposit in and who didn't. Talking about the flowers, it's so funny. He even checks the date on them to see when they, <laughs> how much longer they're going to last. We figure orchids really last a long time. Oh, do they? Like okay. three, four weeks maybe? Men who that you're listening, uh, pro tip. Go yeah. with the orchids, right? Yes, okay, and you water you from the bottom. Water from the bottom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little, little things... Uh, Wash her, make sure her car is washed and cleaned and vacuumed out uh, because she appreciates it. Again, yeah. that's part of the love language thing. Yeah. Um, 
So you guys raised two kids. We did. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what, what advice would you give for raising kids? Uh, wow. <laughs> um, we found out early on that spending time with those kids, that's quality time, is very important. Mm. And what our kids loved was sitting and reading books to them. I'd come home, instead of reading the paper, I might grab the paper, but as soon as one of them showed up with a book, I'd sit down in the recliner in the front room of 146 Bueller Drive mm-hmm. and uh, read a book for them. A missionary stayed with us one time overnight and uh, asked us about our kids. And, and he said, do you ever read to them? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. And he said, don't stop. Mm. Read, your, read with your kids. Help them to realize that this is important. Um, help them to um, learn to make good choices. Yes. It's important to do that at a young age because if we don't, when they get to be a little older and are floundering and trying to make good choices and haven't had some guidance and direction when they were younger, and then coupled with that is to talk about logical consequences of mm. bad choices. Um, and you can do that with a child when they're young. Yeah, You know, I, if you keep that uh, behavior up, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Not only are mom and dad going to get after you, but that's not going to go well at school. Friend, friends are going to disappear and things like that. So help them to realize good choices, uh, logical consequences, um, grace. Teach, you can teach your little kids about grace. I used to take Melissa when she was just a little girl and Martin as he came along. Um, if they would have, if they messed up or were disobedient or something during the day and I'd have to, or Donna would have to say, hey, stop that. Go sit in the corner for a while. Shut off the TV, uh, whatever it might be. Then, maybe in the evening when I'd come home, um, we didn't live too far in Rochester, New York from a Colonial Ice Cream Store. And I'd say to one of them, hey, you want to go get an ice cream? Now, that would have been the last thing they would have expected Mm. because of some activity or behavior that day. But I'd say, let's go get an ice cream. So I may walk down there with Melissa on my shoulders, or we'd ride our bikes. And uh, then we'd sit on the curb and eat the ice cream. And I'd say, Melissa, you know why I did this? You know why we went and got ice cream? Daddy probably shouldn't have done this today because of the way you responded to mom or the way you didn't want to do your homework or whatever it might have been. Yeah. But you know how God works with us, how God deals with us? He gives us more than we're expecting Mm. very often. It's called grace. This is a grace thing. Or we'd go down to Emile's uh, roast beef and get a Coke, and she called that a Coke special. (laughs) You know, little things like that. So teach them about choices, about friendships, about uh, logical consequences. Teach them about grace. And, of course, as often as you can as they're young and then as they keep growing up, uh, build into their lives spiritually. Tell them about Jesus. Yeah. Um, I think early on um, it was important in our home that 
Melissa was the oldest one, and then Martin followed, and we did the same uh, teaching. But we taught them that um, as soon as they asked Jesus in their heart, instead of saying to them, you have a ministry for God to do, I'd say, you have a special work God wants you to do. It's a special mm. work for God. So we'd decide what her ministry was or work for God. I said, when you go over to Susie's house next door, um, when, you, when you're getting ready to leave, if you pick up the toys, that mommy is going to notice that, and so is Susie. And that's your ministry. I can't do that, but she's going to see Jesus in you. And so we drilled into them. You know, when you go to school, um, you're, you may be the only one with Jesus in your heart. And so one of the teachers, Melissa, said, we were praying for her teacher every night. And so I found out she, she came home and she says, you know what I did today? I wrote my teacher a note and said, do you want Jesus in your heart? <laughs> the next, and I said, really? And she said, yeah. And the next day she, she said, came home and she said, you know, my teacher didn't write me a note or didn't say anything. And she said, I wrote her another note. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, call my mommy at. <laughs> and she wrote the note down there. So we'd pray every, every day, my kids, we'd pray at the door. It was like, would you send your kid in the cold without a coat on? Oh, no. But when you pray at the door, you're going to ask the Holy Spirit. So mm. we'd pray, Holy Spirit, you know, she'd say, fill me with your spirit. I don't know why she said that. It sounded holy, I guess. But, we also so, taught them to shine, shine for Jesus. Oh, every yeah. day I was this yeah. one year I said, oh, and, and dear Jesus, help her to shine for you, Lord Jesus. Well, that next report card, that teacher wrote in the back and said nice things about her, but she said she really shines in the classroom. Oh, that's sweet. And then our son, <laughs> Martin, he was uh, in, in kindergarten, and um, he... Um, Told this, he told me he told this little boy about Jesus in the hallway. So one day, the, he, the, the mother had picked up the child, and she got out of her car, and, and she, by then she knew we were moving uh, to, out of, to another ministry and um, um, but several states away, and she said, I've just got to tell you something. Our son has, has accepted Christ as his Savior. We're all going back to church now. Wow. And uh, I just don't, I told him, you guys are missionaries, you know. So then in, um, I have to tell you one more. So um, we would tell the teachers, please, um, if you see any kind of a change in our, in our child, either for the good or the bad, we want to know. Because if it's something good, we're, I want to know so that we can continue that. If it's something bad, we've got to know because one of us is in trouble. <laughs> we've got we've to be right on top of it. And yeah. so I got a call from Mrs. Bell, and she said, um, I, I don't think my son would mind me telling this <laughs> to the whole world here. <laughs> but um, she said, now, I know you said if there was something different or if, she, or if he was a bad behavior, you wanted to know. And I know other kids that say this same word, but uh, I knew you wanted to know. I said, yes, yeah, so what if it, and so she, it was the F-bomb. Oh. So I said, oh, boy, this was, what, third grade? Second yeah, fourth, or third? Maybe second or third, fourth. Third, somewhere. maybe. And uh, I, said, I said, thank you. <laughs> so she, I said, oh, one more question. I said, I know you can't tell me any names, but does Marty by any chance have a new friend? And she goes, yes, he does. And I said, well, is this friend the kind of friend that uh, would say those kind of words too? 
uh, yeah. I said, okay, thank you. He comes home from school and he's skipping in the door and everything's happy. And so I said, Marty, we need to have, we need to go in the living room. Dad and I want to talk to you. He sat in the middle of us and there were two, I mean, he was outnumbered for sure. And so, um, <laughs> so we told him about Mrs. Bell's report and he was just in shock. Oh no. So I said, do you have a new friend? Yeah, he had a new friend. So his, I said, what's his name? And his name is Jose. And I said, oh, does Jose say bad words? And yeah, he does. And I said, well, you can be Jose's fr friend, but you can't hang around with him. Uh, he's, he does not, he, he's, um, he's, he's not a good influence on you. Mm. And, but I want you to be kind. So in the classroom, they split up in the reading groups and he, Jose just happened to be in his group. So he talked to Jose about Jesus. And uh, so, I hope you got time, this is a great story. So he goes up to Mrs. Bell's desk and he says, Mrs. Bell, I think you should know, Jose has just asked Jesus in his heart. And the teacher says, I hope he meant it. <laughs> so after that, Jose and Marty went around on the playground getting kids to pray and ask Jesus in their heart. And then this one little girl said she didn't want to, and he was very upset. He says, when Jose and I are going up, her mouth is going to drop open. <laughs> I said, well, I think she has plenty of chances that she'll be able to ask yeah. Jesus. Well, then one day he came home, and he says, Jose's uh, moving. And uh, his dad was in prison. And uh, I said, well, let's have him over for dinner. So we had him over for dinner, and we had nice talks. I don't know what about. But after Jose left... After having dinner with us, Marty said something so profound. He says, Mom, we got him just in time, didn't we? Mm. Oh, wow. I got one more. So our daughter was in the seventh grade, and uh, I had met the teacher, and uh, I said, I'm not going to talk about this to your dad, but I have a very bad feeling about this teacher. He's a man teacher. And I said, I think he has a drinking problem. I said, I don't want you to be your bubbly self. We're going to pray for him and see what happens. So just be polite, and but don't do any extra smiles, nothing. So one day she came home, and she was sobbing, and she says, Mom, you were right, you were right. He came to school drunk, and, they're, and he's going to have to leave. And so I said, okay, let's pray for him. On her own, for his last day, she had called her friends, to plan a surprise party, going away party for him. Oh, that's sweet. They had pop and cookies and candy and stuff. And when he walked in the room to see that in the signs, he cried. I believe with all my heart that man knows Jesus mm. because of that grace. The kids, the once they know they have a ministry for God, once they trust Jesus as their Savior, they have a ministry for God. They have a personal responsibility and they know they only have one shot at it. Yeah, that's beautiful because it gives a, it gives kids a much bigger vision of life. Yes. Sure does. That it's not just about yeah. yourself and about your individual relationship with the yeah. Lord. That the Lord really wants you to to love and care for for people who are broken. And that I oh that's that's wonderful. Do you guys remember how you heard about Redemption Gateway? This <laughs> who like who told you about our our little place here in Mesa and, and, and tell us like, kind of like those first couple of times that you guys came. Well, we, act, we actually found it by accident. 
Oh, really? Yeah, we had moved here in 2012, September. And uh, I told Donna and Martin, if you guys want to go with, fine. But if you don't want to do the church shopping or whatever thing, I'll, I'll go and visit some places and see if we can find where God wants us to go. We had come from a very large um, seeker-friendly church back in Illinois and enjoyed it a lot, 19 years there. Grew a lot. Uh, Martin grew immensely there. Melissa ended up uh, going to school close by, so she ended up going there as well during college. Um, but anyway, we were looking for a certain kind of church. So um, I visited three or four different places, I think it was, and I was coming back across Pecos one day. I knew I could get home to the villages always on Rittenhouse, but I thought, hey, wait a minute. I know that Pecos runs into Ellsworth because that's the way we'd go up to the freeway. And I thought, I'm just going to go straight across Pecos. And I'm coming across here west of the where we used to be next door. And the first thing I saw was this sign that said, Home Furniture Sale. And I thought, okay, and there was cars and people, you know, adults and kids. And I thought, holy cow, they must be having a huge sale going on here. So I got a little closer and I saw the A-frame signs that said with our Redemption Church. So I didn't think a lot about it, but then I got home and I thought, hey, this, that looks like a, a live place. So basically I found it by accident. I um, looked it up online. I text or emailed Pastor Luke, told him who we were. We just got into town from back in the Midwest and we're looking for a church. And I said, what is redemption? Are you part of this church planning group or that church planning? Are you a denomination or non What are you? And that would have been between the two services. It was like 9.30ish, 10 o'clock. And by 12.30, I had an email back mm. from Luke. It said, hey, thanks for reaching out. Um, this is who we are. If you're coming back, please stop at the welcome desk. I'll be there after service. And that kind of started the relationship that we have together. And he said, let's have lunch next week. We did. And wow. uh, I told Donna and Martin both after that first visit, I said, I think God may have found a church for us mm. because the music and worship time was great. The preaching was great, biblical sound, and uh, the people were friendly. And I could tell there was a lot of excited kids uh, there seemed to be youths that liked one another, and I heard about the youth ministry. It's back when Watt was growing the youth ministry. Uh, and uh, that's how we found. It wasn't somebody telling us. It was basically I drove by and saw some exciting things going. You were looking for a shortcut home, and I, you happened to find Redemption exactly. Gateway. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. I was tired of driving on Rittenhouse and all that traffic, and I said, I'm going this way. Yeah. I like the name, Redemption. It yeah. says yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah, we like it. So you've been a, a, an elder here for five years. Yes. What have you learned uh, in your role as an elder here? Uh, I've learned that elders are very important for a church ministry. That doesn't demean the pastoral staff or the other leadership of the church. But um, people need to know who the elders are and realize that there are people on the elder board as lay people who are just as committed 
and as involved in the growth and the prayer and the teaching and all who are people just like they are. Okay? Yeah. That's one thing. Number two, um, I'm a little older than the rest of the elders. And uh, one of the questions that I think it was first first time I met with an elder was you for breakfast over at Santan Cafe. And uh, a little plug for the local, yeah, local right. cafe. There it's delicious. Go. It's a great place. It's on Santan. Yeah, Santan Boulevard, <laughs> almost over to Sossaman, I guess. Yes. Anyway, uh, we talked, and I think you asked me, what, what do you think you can bring to the elder board? And I think I just responded, probably some experience, some perspective, that kind of thing, because uh, most everybody on the staff was young and... Uh, other elders were a little younger. And I think that's important as well. So, and I've learned that the elder board can be a real um, plus for the staff mm. in terms of support when tough things come along, etc. cetera. Um, and I've learned that this church has a great elder board. Mm. I was on an elder board before at a different church, and it was not a good experience. Mm. In fact, when Matthew came to me about seven years ago and said, would you consider, we were in community group together, would you consider thinking about and praying about being on the elder board? And I responded to him and said, I'll do that, but it'll really, it'll have to be for the right reasons because I had a negative experience before. Mm. It wasn't because the church was bad. It just was a negative experience of the style of leadership and all. And and uh, I found out I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and, well, uh, and wasn't, you, you never eldered or, or as part of an elder board during a global pandemic. Like, no, <laughs> no. What were some of the challenges that, that kind of went through your mind as being part of our elder board when we were facing, do we... Close, you know, do we yeah. stop church? Hard do decisions to make, yeah. yeah, and to pray about those things and decide what 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 is the impact going to be if we go online only and don't still give people an option, even masked service, etc. Yeah, those are hard decisions to make because people are social, and we need to be together. Hebrews says, "Don't forsake." Yeah. The, you know, gathering together and all, um, because that's important. So when the when the COVID hit, I uh, was just as troubled about that as all of the other elders, yeah. knowing that the impact it was going to have yeah. on our people. One thing I love about our elder board is we, um, we, we are fairly diverse in terms of just kind of our experience and our level of ministry, but I also love that we have – we're connected to a lot of different kind of just people within the congregation. And yes. so when we had, we do have an issue or we do have a situation or we have something exciting to pursue, or we're looking thinking about finances, we all have kind of people that come to mind, people that we are relationally connected to right. that help us kind of shape it and think through it. And so you're connected to people I'm not connected to. I'm exactly. connected to people you're not. Yeah. And so when we meet as an elder board, it's been really great for us to be able to have these kind of different perspectives 
but it's been so beautiful because we all kind of land in the same spot. Yeah. You know, we may have a couple of questions. We have maybe some different angles, but in terms of like the unity and, and yes. just being on the same page and being on the same mission, like hey, we're here to make disciples. Exactly. We're here to support Luke and we're here to support the staff and the volunteers. Yes. Um, but we're here to make disciples. Yes. And I, th- I felt like we, we've never had like crazy tangents or even really difficult conversations because I think at the end of the day, we're all still, landing on the same mission. We want to make disciples. We want people to hear the gospel. Exactly. And we do hear the gospel every mm-hmm. sermon, yeah. whether it's from Ecclesiastes or 1 John or <laughs> Genesis or Second uh, Corinthians or wherever. The messages that we hear from Luke and Seth and uh, Arnold and Josh and different ones, um, the other Josh that leads children, um, we've heard them all. And they all have learned to essentially take that passage and work it well and then bring the principle, the point, the big idea back to how that relates to and affects mm. the gospel. Yeah. So we hear the gospel preached and we are all part of making disciples corporately, individually, One of the things that I really enjoyed when we first came here, I had just retired. And for all those years of traveling and not being able to, I could do a one-off thing at church, um, pack seeds to send to Africa, you know, seed packets and bags and things that the church would send to Africa for um, social help for people that were in need and so on, whatever it might be. But I couldn't commit to a regular every week, Tuesday, whatever, doing something. And I told Donna, I'm going to make up for some of that time not being able to volunteer as much. Yeah. Uh, first thing I did was with Alex Hendrickson, uh, setting, helping set up and tear down in the other facility over there. Got to know him well and the guys that were on the, the crew then. And uh, that led to something else. And then, oh, men's stuff and... Uh, you know, small group stuff, and well, you you proved to be, uh, yeah, you you proved to be biblically fit and and a, you know just a, a leader that we were needing. So I mean, you 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 yeah, it was a good mix, a good match. Uh, I've been very grateful to be on the elder board here. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've realized you can have good experiences or bad experiences as uh, elders and deacons and so on. Yeah. And this has been a very good experience because we've got good leaders. Yeah. Donna, what was, what's, what's been uh, your time here at Gateway like? Well, one of the things I've noticed I think is so precious is that <clears throat> I've noticed, uh, well, mainly because of me, oh, with my pain issues and all, um, I noticed that I get fussed over a lot. Like when I was <laughs> in small gr- when the small group I was in, first one, uh, I always, they made sure I had the right chair and the right this and, you know, just watching over me and didn't expect a bunch, but I loved, I loved that. And it, it tells me that um, people are really valued mm. here at, and um, it doesn't matter what age and, I'm, and they notice you. And I think one of the most precious things that ever happened for me at this church is that they have a quilt ministry here and the quilt the ladies get together and the sections of the quilt they all have these 
uh, verses that are so um, comforting. Mm. And those women, this is their ministry. And when they get through as a quilt, they have prayed over the knots and everything. Some, I'm, <laughs> it sounds like some of them didn't know about that much about sewing to begin with. That's what it sounds like. The way they need different ones needed help, but by the time they finish with that with that quilt, they've had different ladies. They do different things, you know, the cutting and the sewing and the embroidery and all and tying knots. And by the time they're finished, um, that that's a powerful um, picture and feeling of <clears throat> the Holy Spirit. You know, I will not leave you comfortless, mm. Jesus said. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so when you're feeling really awful. Um, that is a wonderful ministry. And so I, when I was presented with that quilt, of course, um, tears. And it was just, it's wonderful. And I'm just praying that God blesses those women with, and, and uh, shows them their favor mm. for them. So I noticed that and um, always looking out for me, praying for me. <clears throat> We're getting ready to move. And um, I called a couple of girl, younger ones, uh, to help me. They have teenage girls, too, and um, they were, it was almost like, oh, I was just hating to ask, I wanted to do all this myself, and uh, there's a nickname the family gave me, and now Bill says it to me, do it all in one day, Donna. I just hate that, <clears throat> but anyway, I called a, two or three of them, and um, it was almost as though they were getting invited to a party, mm. something they just wouldn't want to miss. And it was just like, oh, this is so encouraging. It just a real load lifter for me. So, and I just, and when when you talk to somebody and they're talk, talking about marriage or kids or something, <clears throat> I noticed they'd like hang on your every word. And then one of them, <clears throat> uh, Christy said, my, my daughter wants, Bethany wants to meet with you and we can talk about, how you and your husband met, and we just want to have, ask a bunch of questions. And I was just so taken by that because it was her idea. She wanted mm. to talk to an older woman about life. Yeah. And so there again, valued. And um, I don't know <clears throat> if it's something that the church has specifically um, zeroed in on or it's more than likely the Holy Spirit is doing his job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, um, when I heard that you guys were moving to Texas, I wanted desperately to interview you for the podcast because I just knew you'd have stuff to share. You would have wisdom to impart and just also just a chance for us to just honor you with kind of a conversation and, and just, um, yeah, just spend time together. So as you think about moving to Texas and well, let's, let's stop there. Like, so tell us why you're moving to Texas okay. for those who may not know. Yeah. Uh, our daughter, Melissa, and her husband, Tim, have been up in Calgary, Alberta for about 30 years. That's close, cold. Close to that. Uh, yeah, it's cold. Uh, we've been up there many, many times. We used to always go at Christmas, and you'd find sometimes it would be beautiful weather with the Chinook winds and all, and warm, and you could be out walking in your jacket. And then other times, <clears throat> ice and snow a foot on top of the roads. And oh, goodness. You know, it's just a mess. But... Um, they are, they've been up there and very happy up there. Tim has a great job working for TransCanada Energy. He's their aviation director for many years. Um, and he had an opportunity to move because of a need for an extra pilot down to the Houston office in Texas. And he went to the 
uh, guys in the leadership team there and said, especially during COVID, he's been basically working from home, running the aviation department and uh, flying a lot. But um, he said to them, you know, one of the guys had to come back from Houston because his visa wasn't renewed. He was a Canadian. And he said, we've got this spot open and I've been going for the last year and a half, almost every month down there for a week, you know, spelling off somebody that needs rest or needs more training or whatever it is. He said, would you consider letting me move down there and continue working from there? And their response was, would you do that? And he said, yeah, I would. I think I'd really like to. Um, Donna's or Melissa's parents live in Arizona and be much closer to them, et cetera, et cetera. And then just unfortunately, but what's happened in Canada recently, it's just essentially become a socialist communist country. And they just didn't want to be there anymore if they yeah. could help it. So it worked out. God put it all together, and they're down now in northwest Houston in a town called Tomball, Cypress, Tomball, Spring, the Woodlands, you know, that kind of area up northwest of, of Houston. And uh, they began talking about it after they knew they were going to move and said, hey, Mom and Dad, would you ever consider moving down to Texas? Well, we started our marriage basically in Dallas for four years. And uh, going back to Texas wouldn't be a bad thing. So we began to, we told, yeah, we'll pray about it and think about it. Maybe we'll stay here for another five years or something. But eventually, yeah, I think that'd be a nice idea. Well, one day we were talking about it, Donna and I at home, and we kind of both looked at one another at the same time and said, can you imagine us doing this five years from now or ten years from now? We need to do this now. Mm. So um, that's kind of how it happened. Uh, it's been amazing to see God put things together with a quick sale, <clears throat> although it's not unusual now here in Arizona, but a quick sale of our home here in Arizona. Um, God has provided a place in Texas a mile and a half from Melissa and Tim. It's in a division that's just finishing being built. And there's a house available under construction that Tim and Melissa found that they thought would be good for us, and it is. Great. So we're closing here on the 7th or 9th of March. Uh, we'll be staying in the house till about the mid of April mm. and then moving sometime that first or second week of April. Nice. God has put it all together, <laughs> working with a, a realtor who's a Christian, uh, Found out a week ago that the buyer is a Christian, used to live about 30 miles from where we lived in Illinois, and went to the same church, big church of wow. all, all things. Yeah. So, um, but the real clincher is that our daughter and son-in-law, Tim comes from a large family. His parents are both still living. Um, we're both still living, obviously. But uh, Barely. Not, quite, not quite as old as his parents are. But he, he has lots of brothers and sisters, siblings who are up there, who are taking good care of his parents. So the move wasn't a problem for his family. And uh, Tim has a real family orientation. And he said to Melissa years ago, and some people listening to this may not know, but 
Our son Martin lives with us still. He has an, uh, a disability for, with epilepsy, and consequently, it's just easier for him to live with us and us to be around him. We have a lot of fun. Um, but um, Tim has said to Melissa quite a while ago, when your parents can't do that anymore and somebody needs to pick up what they're doing for Martin, we're going to do that. Mm, that's beautiful. And when your parents get to the point where they are older, etc., I don't need to be focusing on my family so much because there's quite a few siblings that are doing that. Um, we're going to be the people that are there for your folks. Yeah. I mean, it brought tears to our eyes when we were told that. Big relief. Yeah, yeah. and also a big relief not knowing who's going to pick up the responsibilities for Martin. Yeah. And they're going to do that. So all of those things kind of came together unplanned when they said, hey, we're going to move to Texas. What do you think about maybe sometime following us down there? So that's how it's happened. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I know you're going to be saying goodbye to a lot of people, but obviously you're not going to be able to say goodbye to everybody yes. at Redemption Gateway, yes. uh, Redemption Church Gateway. So what are some parting words? Like what would you say kind of uh, as you ride off into the sunset towards <laughs> Texas, <laughs> what what would you like to say to the to the congregation? Um, this is not goodbye. See you later. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's great. Hopefully That's, sooner. So yeah, hopefully sooner. Right. Uh, just we love everybody here. Yes. Uh, we love this church. We love... You know, God obviously led us here by accident, but we came here. We've had 10 wonderful years here. And um, the reason we said maybe we'll go in five years was because the hardest part about moving is leaving Redemption Church. Yeah. Yes. And all the friends and, and relationships and ministry, you know. For instance, when I shared it with my fight club, um, Hey, can we help you pack? Can we help you load? And I said, I'll keep you posted. <laughs> uh, Donna's got these ladies who are going to help her finish packing. Melissa will come up and, and help with that. Tim's going to come up and drive the truck. I'll drive the Yukon pulling the little Mustang. Um, one of our grandsons coming over from San Diego to help. So on loading day, I think we'll have plenty of fight club guys and, and uh, family there. Melissa and Donna will have flown back to Houston by then. So yeah, oh. I'll drive the Yukon with Martin and the dog, and Tim and Corey will drive the truck, and we'll get to Texas when we're supposed to. So um, hate to think of leaving redemption, but God is in this. And just remember that as families and as couples. God may do something that you have, haven't got the foggiest idea he might want to do. We've moved, as I mentioned, we've bought nine or ten houses as we've moved around. And uh, God always has some surprise in it and something new and something fun. And our kids learned that, hey, moving is an adventure, you know. Mm. So That's awesome. Well, Bill and Donna, we love you so much. We are going to miss you. Thank you so much for your service to our, our congregation as an elder, but also as, as a family. I'm, I know that we've been blessed by you guys. So thank you so much. And yes. God bless your trip and your move. Um, that's exciting. But, uh, well, thank you for everyone for listening. We love you so much. We hope yes. this has been encouraging. And uh, thank you. Our pleasure. Amen.
Thank you.